I do not agree to be recorded. No, this is going to be hard then. It'll be a one-sided podcast. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is our hol- holiday episode. We're yeah, we're yeah. doing only happy. You know what's funny is that like I felt really we're just super re-reviewing Happiest Season. I yeah, I, I like it less. I felt so good about this week's movies until today. I was like, oh. this is like my best week ever. Oh, but, because because you liked because I liked I, I liked everything we were going to talk about. I hate to spoil it for people, but I just liked everything and not just like a little bit. Like I liked it a lot. And then today's movie came and I was like, oh, oh, it's beautiful. But it's kind of uh, a fun. It's kind of a fun movie to shit on. But wasn't like a super fun movie to watch. No, not at all. Although they did innovate. I mean, I would say the other <laughs> film from Netflix wasn't super fun to watch. It was just great. It was just fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on in the world. Any news? Oh, you texted me about something about Dune. So did they did they renege so, on all the on the yeah? It looks the like Dune it stuff? looks like they're reconsidering Dune to be a theatrical release only. Um, but we do have a Judas and the Black Messiah release date in February, finally. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, it will not be counted in our end of year awards, guys, because once Absolutely. again, we're sticking, we're sticking hard and fast to the uh, December thirty first. The only two movies I think we're allowing to sneak in there are One Night in Miami and um, um, what's the one I'm thinking of? Um, the Vanessa Kirby movie that I'm forgetting right now. Oh, uh, I keep wanting to say uh, no scenes, to scenes of a. Uh, of a woman, yeah, something like that. Something a scent of a woman. <laughs> I, 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 scent of a woman too. She's doing the Al Pacino part. That'd be that'd be great. Who's doing the uh, Ellen Burstyn's doing the Chris O'Donnell part? Yeah, and Shia LaBeouf's doing the Philip Seymour Hoffman part. Excellent, excellent. I think that's pieces of a woman. Pieces of a woman. T- yeah, yeah. I think those are the two movies we're allowed in. Um, well, we're gonna have to. That's the thing. So, like, I keep checking every day, like all these sites, looking for some kind of bootleg or something of Minari and Nomadland. But like, I, they're just holding on to them, like, yeah, fiercely like, for dear life. Minari, Nomadland, and Promising Young Woman are gonna be slotted in the twenty twenty one. Well, I'm gonna be very honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised if Promising Young Woman drops just like out of nowhere, like the second week of January. It's got no. It's got screenings on Friday. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Is that like oh. it shows? Yeah, if it, if it, it shows for a couple of days, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you wanted to pay twenty dollars for this, right? Like, yeah, I would pay twenty dollars for that. Which we would, we would, we, we would totally pay $20 would. For that. Um, all right, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't by mid January, it just gets slotted into 2021. Which will be a 2021 will be an amazing year for movies because of everything Hopefully. that happens in the very beginning of the year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but at least we had a good number of films this year to review. Most likely because Steve McQueen gave us five movies. And yeah. we finally end our five-week streak of small axe films with education. They say our children are too loud, too slow, or too lively. The school system has a policy of targeting our children. There is a deeply rooted cultural bias. As a collective, we stand a chance. We are the small X, sharpen to cut you down. So education, um, we're back in London. Um, we it is the 1970s, and uh, we are following um, 
Kingsley Smith, played by Kenya Sandy. Um, he goes to, uh, you know, just a regular, regular school uh, where he, uh, we find that he can't read. Um, he has some discipline problems, I guess, but not any more than, than his friends that are white. He just seems like a regular kid. He seems like, like a regular kid, but that's yeah. a, like, I think one of the interesting, we'll talk about this. One of the interesting things about it is that it kind of, um, he's not doing nothing. He's doing something, but the same as somebody else. So I, th- I think it's, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the principal of the school suggests to his mother, Agnes, played by Charlene White, uh, that he go to a special school. This is an opportunity that he can't pass up. It's a school for kids that are a little rambunctious, a little wild, a little, um, you know, there's all these kinds of terms they have for these kids. Uh, and it turns out that these schools are what the English public school system refers to as educationally um, subnormal. Yeah, the subnormal school. Yeah. So um, they don't have teachers, really. Uh, they have people that go in and sing animal songs to them, um, whole animal songs, which is great. Often repeating the chorus several on a, times. On a classical guitar. Um, Poorly. You know, they're allowed to just kind of roam the streets as long as they come back by a certain time. Um, and then Agnes is, uh, or Kingsley's mother is approached um, by a woman who is putting together a kind of coalition of, of parents and uh uh, civic leaders to um, fight against this practice in the English schools of putting these um, uh, black Caribbean, uh, black West children Indies, of Caribbean yeah. into these schools more predominantly than they put white kids into the schools. And uh, at the end, in perfect McQueen small axe fashion, Kingsley learns to read a little bit, and then that's the end. Except for awesome space narration um we kind of sent our rankings back and forth via text i think this ends up being like out of the five i think this is my third favorite and it's it's i think it's it follows it has it's some the only the same, fictional narrative too, like completely yeah. fictional narrative it has some of the same problems that alex weedle has i think it's like a it's like a tad bit uneven and it, it like is very um obvious and i think it, in what it's trying to say but it's different from every single other one of these things in the sense that it follows um, a, a, a kind of fairly stereotypical family, like just very closely. There's no, every, you could get a sense of who all the characters are, um, a nuclear family, I guess is what I was looking for. He doesn't do all the characters are. It's our first kid, um, like protagonist, which we haven't had before. We've had like, kids show up but no kid for like the whole time everyone else has been like an adult or in their 20s um you know where the the life lessons are really big and they you know they come on the backs of these of trauma um this is this is trauma too but it's more domestic um and because charlene white specifically um but I think everyone in the whole cast is playing this stuff so well. It becomes very, very, very emotional at the end. Much more so, I think, than some of the other stuff. Um, because it's this this kid's life is at stake. Not just, you know, even though some of the other stuff is way bigger, this kid's, the, the idea that this kid's life is at stake seems, seems bigger than all that, somehow. Um, so, yeah, I, it ends up being, I think, my third favorite. But I, I liked it a lot. I really, really liked it a lot. Yeah, no, same. Um, Def Clement also 
put it at three. Uh, to say though, like that it's in the middle um, compared to like this you know, anthology of film is is not speaking ill of it. Um, no, it doesn't even really mean least, anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I I do. Yeah. No. No. It's 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 I I, I enjoy like it being the one fictional narrative, so it doesn't feel as though it has this kind of beholdenness to history, um, mm. which I don't I don't necessarily think that the other films did, but I think, I feel as though Steve McQueen was respecting the material enough to hew it closely to the chest while also exploring the, the thematic narratives he did, he wanted to. Um, the difference is here, he's just kind of allowed to fully go in the emotional sense of it. And that's why where I think he excels uh, mostly is when he's allowed to delve into the emotional ramifications of, you know, societal injustices and um, basically the bigger world versus self. Uh, and he's allowed to do that so fully here. Um, and it's true, like the thing that works here is, you know, Kingsley feels as though he's just a normal kid. Um, he, he's dealing with trying to push off the fact that he has difficulty reading. Um, there's no sort of, there's bigger world issues at hand, systemic issues at hand, but they are pushed to the side more so than they are in the other films mm -hmm. to just this really intimate performance between, you know, him and the system that he doesn't even understand. Right. And what works extremely well, I think, is just this the second act switch. Uh, Agnes for the first act is just presented as this kind of uncaring you know dissident or not dissident but uncaring uh, disillusioned mother uh until she's kind of presented with it in her face and then you have that just that fundamental shift charlene white's just fucking fantastic in this Cheers. um like like that from somebody who's antagonistic to kingsley who's somebody who's really takes hold of uh, the issue at hand is is just phenomenal. Like it, it once again shows just Steve McQueen's and um, oh, who's the other writer on all these? Uh, Alistair Alistair Siddons. Uh, did he write all the other ones with him? I don't think he wrote, wrote all of them. I think he was on some of them. I think he wrote like three out of the five. He wrote yeah. He wrote Manrove, um, Alex Weedle, and Education. Um, you know, the two of them just have such a control when they want to of, of these narrative swings. And I think that it's it's best on play here. And I think, as I mentioned with Red, White, and Blue, uh, that moment where, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, not Daniel Kaluuya, John Diego is running um, and, you know, it kind of expresses all that frustration. It's that kind of hallmark of Steve McQueen, that animal scene with House of the Rising Sun that we mentioned before is, is, <laughs> is so uniquely different for Steve McQueen. In, but it's still saying like everything that Steve McQueen always wants to say um, in the sense that it's at one time perfect like comedic timing to how long it goes. Oh, is it goes that so kind of long. narrative structure of what I've talked about for the longest time of my favorite type of comedy is it starts out kind of funny because it's so badly performed stops being funny and then gets funny again. Mm -hmm. um, but also like so fully demonstrating like in such a succinct way uh, the, the problems at hand with what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think to that end, it's, it's really about, um, I think one of the things, one of the reasons I think maybe he put this one last is because we get to see 
I think if you've been watching through, you've kind of been building up an assumption of what uh, the lives that these people came from and what they have had to go through and what they've had to endure. So when, so he, he doesn't have to explain a lot of why um, Agnes kind of wants to, I don't know, just get away from her family like a little bit. And that might not be fair, but I think I love that scene. I love the hospital scene where she says like, you know, uh, it was right after the, um, right after the school, right after the principal says that he's going to get sent to a special school. And she kind of yells at him, says you caused so much trouble and all this other stuff. And she's like, I have to go to work. And she goes to work and there's just like one patient in a hospital bed and there's already a nurse standing there. And so, Mm -hmm. which is not to say that her job isn't important, but I think what McQueen is saying is that like, even these people have worked so hard. Like, and she worked two, you know, she works two jobs. She makes all the food. You can assume Um, these people have worked so hard to get what little they have. Like they just kind of, they hoped for the best for their kids, but they also just kind of assumed that based on time moving forward, that their kids would have inherently more opportunities. And that's like a special that's brought to bear really clearly, I think in the character of the sister, Stephanie, where she's, this, I think she's smart in the same way that Kingsley is. She just, for whatever reason, maybe her parents paid more attention to her. Maybe she got like more attention in school. Maybe just like one thing broke differently. And now she has all these aspirations that she, you know she'll be able to, to, to meet and achieve. Um, but he can't. And I think those are, that's juxtaposed by the mother who's, you know, striving seems to be striving towards something and the father who's just like just let him let him leave it alone let him work a trade you know end of conversation just like he just like he did because he can't read either um it's really it's it's just kind of it's short it's really really short it's the one movie to your point that you said we were talking about it before that like i could have used another half hour of this yeah to kind of to kind of dig into like some of the characterizations more which is not to say that the characterizations in and of themselves aren't like super deep already it would have been cool to get a mangrove type type experience with this subject matter that would have yeah, been that would have been cool it, with especially with the transition um to kind of like the saturday school that they, they form in response to it yeah, yeah like i wish i wish that could have breathed a little bit like yep. when you get kingsley's you get the fact that you you start seeing that kingsley wow he has difficulty reading like you get those small hint that he's actually probably gifted at math yep um you know you get that small hint that like yeah he has trouble in one subject but he's not an idiot he just is, no he just missed difficulty something. in one spot yeah something yeah. got he just missed it it just it's like a thing that happened yeah. and but because like what they say what those um what those two women say like they're just not getting support you know what I mean? They're just, they're pushing kids through school just to get them through school. But to get through school, if you're, if you're a black student, you have to just keep your head down, do everything perfectly. And even then you might still get thrown out of school essentially just for being black. Yeah, exactly. Like it's showcased with the one, the one girl. Um, He's supposed to get the ideas indifferent to education, but is intelligent. The, The one he meets that reads like ambulance. Um, but I, yeah, I wish like that Saturday school had been given a bit of room to breathe because it would have made, which is already a really impactful ending of when Kingsley starts being able to read the, the pamphlet. It, if we had just given that a little bit more time, it mm-hmm. would have been it would have been a little bit more 
of, of a substantial gut punch. Yeah, um, I, I would also would have liked it to that exact point. Don't ha- I can take space visuals and narration about um, African queens and kings mm-hmm. uh, without credits. You can let that happen for ten minutes if you want, or however long, and just do the credits afterwards. Yeah, like I think I, like it was. It was still very powerful an experience, and then all of a sudden there's credits, and I'm just like, ah, I get these credits out of here. Just let me sit. Let me just sit with this for a little bit. You know what'd be nice sometimes, Tom? Though, if if he didn't have to sit over credits and look at the things happening still, it's just would us. Would that now. be nice? It's just us. It does. It is. Um, I wish that radiation had hit the world a couple of days ago. Just in so general. That, just yeah. Radiation. Just so hit the world. Maybe like last night, because uh, I watched the other Netflix film yesterday, too. Um, but the first one we're going to talk about is the new George Clooney joint, The Midnight Sky. In our galaxy alone, there are billions of stars. At least one of them has the potential to support life. I've been thinking a lot about time. One person lives a lifetime, another only gets a few years. We made a promise to our families. You want to be an explorer? Matt! Come to my voice! But while you're doing all that, your own life is just slipping away. That's why I have to contact them. Before it's too late. Is that what we're calling him now? George Clooney joints? Yeah. Why not? Sure. Are you, am I me do this one? Uh, I'll do this one. Oh, okay, go. Uh, so George Clooney is a scientist. Basically just George Clooney. Um, well, sometimes, no. it, sometimes it's just George Clooney's voice and another guy. Yeah. He's exactly. also a scientist. Was that, do we think it's that? It, it's just George Clooney's voice, right? Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that, okay. Uh, but anyways, you know, he's a scientist. He has cancer. He's in the Arctic. He's a really good scientist. He discovered this moon that creates heat from the inside around Jupiter that can have, you know, people on it. Whatever. That's cool. Uh, anyways, got cancer and it turns out the world's ending from some reason, you know, Mark L. Smith is cleverly doesn't tell us exactly what happened. He it's throws a that little, yeah, he throws that little thing in when it gets explained, but the transmission gets interrupted because Mark L. Smith, you know, is very smart. It's not as though Alexander Dernierto probably wrote all the good parts of The Revenant. Um, <laughs> anyways, everyone's dead on Earth. Earth got real fucked. Well, they're moving in. The, they who like some people are underground and some people got evacuated. I guess to that K twenty three planet. Did they? I don't think so. Because so the colony, I thought the that colony was the ship, was. No, the colony ship didn't wasn't responding out. So my idea was, it didn't. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who fucking cares? Uh, meanwhile, in space, uh, people are trying to find perpetual energy, and they uh, got blasted into a different dimension. Um, and they what? got blasted back. I'm just making Cloverfield paradox oh, okay. now. Uh, but anyways, some people are coming back from Jupiter. 
uh, Felicity Jones and uh, Daniel Leo and Damian Bichar, which again, woefully like woefully doing roles beneath him. My favorite Bichar scene realizes like... that like he has an Oscar nomination. Like he deserves so much more than why packing we, packing bags emotionally. Why do we keep doing this to him? And know. you know Kyle Chandler, who's you know punching at his weight. Um, <laughs> And they're coming back, you know, they can't reach Earth. And then, uh, you know, then they reach uh, George Clooney, who has a little girl now with him. And George Clooney's like, the world's been destroyed. Don't come here. And then, you know, Damon Bachar and Kyle Chandler are like, no, we're coming because this other woman with us died. And I guess we got to go. And his family's still under, is is underground. Is underground, I guess. And Damon Bachar is just like, it'd be weird if I was a third wheel. Like, what am yeah, I going to yeah. do? Uh, and it turns out the little girl was uh, was Felicity Jones because, you know, George Clooney banged this other woman like decades ago. And that do you think that was Felicity George Jones. Clooney's kid? Yeah, it was. You know, okay, I, I got that idea. All right. Uh, then uh, then you know the two people, Daniel Leal and Felicity Jones, go back to Jupiter, and uh, George Clooney uh, d- dies. Well, we assume. Yeah, this movie's boring and bad and. I don't know what to say about it. It's it's such a a blank sheet of nothing. It is, and I, and I make the Cloverfield paradox jokes because Cloverfield paradox, for as much of a mess as it is, at least is like a goofy mess. Yeah. Um, this is just a. <laughs> this is not this goofy. Is, this is like when I eat chicken wings, I enjoy like sucking all the stuff off the chicken wing. You know, like sure. getting it down to the bone. Yeah. I imagine that what I what is left of that bone is what George Clooney filmed. Because hmm. this film is, is, is a miss in almost every conceivable way. I, I agree with the Alexander Duplatt score being somewhat good, but so maybe that's spots. because, you know why? It's because I'm reaching out this year because the original scores from this year have been absolute garbage. Yeah, it's um, tough. I, I think that the uh, death scene for um, my, Maya, is, is one of the cooler kind of ways of doing a sci-fi scene mm. where she just kind of suddenly realizes that there's blood droplets around her face. Yeah. I thought that was like visually cool. Uh, besides that, there's, there's nothing. This is, this is just a, a, a nothing burger of a movie. It is um, a tired George Clooney acting with a confused Elizabeth Jones and a David Iola, Damien Bachar, who want a paycheck and Kyle Chandler who still is writing off that Friday night lights um glory you sure it's not early edition glory maybe maybe early edition early edition is um, a great show I love early edition I yeah it was it was good um yeah I kind of do south no <laughs> do south um I kind of feel I feel the same way actually I, I've thought parts of the score really worked some of it sounded exactly like the uh score for um uh, if Beale Street could talk, mm, yeah, I agree. like it seemed like it was doing a couple of two note like rises um, in the exact same key that Beale Street could talk, but I guess it doesn't matter. Um, the plot probably should have consulted with Thomas Newman. Yeah, <laughs> Thomas Newman's the best at everything. Um, but yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure why this. I mean, what George Clooney thought he was doing. Um, there's all these stops on the way to like. Cause they're in one base and then they got to go to another with like a better satellite. Um, so did he put like actual gear all over that kid? 
I mean, I don't know. I, or like, so did he just drag around like an empty coat? Um, or was he just, she just in his head like the entire time? And what's the point of it? I don't, I don't understand. Like, why do you all like the little kid stuff? Why, if you're imagining a little girl, are you imagining her like sneaking into your room and like hitting peas at you? I don't understand. Do you, know, do you know what the point is? The point is to remind you that when an older man is taking care of somebody who's defenseless in an Arctic temperature, that it's best left to Mads Mikkelsen to do that movie. Yeah, yeah. Because that entire time I was looking at going like, well, Arctic is, and like Joe Pena and all that. It's such like the better director of this shit. Like this, like this, like Arctic is 10 times the movie that like the 40 minutes of Midnight Sky that are in the Arctic are. Well, it's so funny though, because like you could argue that way less happens in Arctic. I had forgot about Arctic. Arctic's a great movie, but I had forgotten about it. I did too. Um, Were you reminded of Arctic watching this though? Going yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Because I kept thinking like, there's stuff that there, there's too many things happening here. Like they keep running into like useful things. And why are there? Why can bird? Why are birds dying but wolves aren't dying? I don't get it. Why are all people but wolves dying? Well, the wolves are above the radiation land at at that place. I guess, but because they're traveling north. Tom. Sure, come on, good. Yeah, follow follow Mark L. Smith's well written screenplay. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like I imagine that this is gonna get. So I'm, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago when people were kind of freaking out about like Midnight Sky getting like you know best director and like it was getting a big big best picture nomination push. I can't see any of that happening. I'm assuming maybe they'll like, you know, the plot and maybe like a production design or something. Cause it looks pretty good. Does it, does it look everyone? Like, all the still, reviews I've read are just about, like, Oh, it looks pretty good. They're still talking about like a visual effects award for this. What? For what? what are you getting that from? Listen, if you're going to do, if what you're going to do visual effects, effects, how about this? It's 2049, which again, makes no sense. Let's just assume though, if that in 2049, we have found a moon, or whatever next to Jupiter that we could live on. We have the ability to make some kind of space shuttle that can travel to Jupiter and back in two years. With, 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 you know, gravity at some points and no yeah, gravity yeah. at other points. Let's just assume all that. Plot convenience. Are we still eating like grape nuts? Are we still eating just like meatloaf and peas and carrots? Like, just in separate things? Like, is this, are we still all eating? Are we still eating kudos bars? Because that's what that girl was eating. She was just eating a kudos. I don't know, kudos are pretty good. Kudos are fine, but are we still eating those if we can do all this other stuff? We've not gone, oh, we've used all of our technology for getting to Jupiter. We didn't like change food technology at all. I have, I have no problem with that. The thing I have a problem with is the fact that like people are hailing the visuals of this film and it's it's not inspired. It's it's I look at this movie and wonder where they spend a hundred million dollars. Well, not inspired. That that, yeah. that those C, that CGI is not good. Not inspired is actually a really interesting way to put it. And I think part of George Clooney's problem is that he thinks any movie he does is inspired because he made it. He's that directed it, like, two good this, movies. Yeah, that it achieves this kind of upper echelon quality because like he's involved in it. And it's just—it's just not—it's just, not, just not happening here. No, it's true. It's like not happening. We have to get to the point where we have to assume George Clooney's a bad director, right? Well, we have to assume that if, if we get news that George Clooney's making another movie, we're not all going to be like, "Oh, this is going to be good." We're all going to be like, "This is probably going to stink." I mean, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind was decent. 
Good but, Die and Good Luck's amazing. Great. I don't know how much of that is is Clooney, but then like Suburbicon and this. Yeah. Beg the question and what Monuments Man was that? That was him, right? Monuments Man. Like, yeah. yeah. Question that like maybe Clooney's not like the guy behind the camera, and like yeah. I was I'll say this like he does good enough in, in the performance here. Like like he hits the the beats he needs to hit. He's okay. Yeah, but like overall, just what. Like, it's one of these movies that bugs me because it's such a waste of time. It's it's not, it's uninspired. It's it's not even bad enough to be entertaining. It's it just you, you finish it and those you you just look back and and are frustrated at two hours of your life being gone. Well, yeah, you could I could have, just... have watched four more episodes of Ted Lasso. <laughs> are you enjoying Ted Lasso? I did. I watched two episodes. It's got Juno Tempo. Of course I do. Well, I mean, you're able to watch Ted Lasso because uh, we recently subscribed to uh, Apple Plus TV, TV Plus. Apple TV Plus TV, whatever. Apple, yeah, whatever. Apple, yeah. Apple, you guys need to buy the MGM studios, like the, the catalogs. That Apple, you, you need to buy movies. something. So you can have anything other than a couple well, of that, things. On that is head. a big news story you missed. You, hear, you heard that MGM's up for sale, right? No, 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 no. $5 billion. That's not that Apple, bad. Apple should probably do that. I just assume that they have already done it. They're just waiting to announce it until like after Christmas so people don't have to feel shitty. Um, well, they should but, announce it now and just be like, no time to die uh, to now. Like, like Friday. No, no we're, time to die. We're jumping, we're jumping on this train of big movies on Christmas. Listen, no time to die on Christmas and it will play in theaters for a year. For How free. That? How about that? Uh, we subscribed so we could watch uh, the new um, film from the animation studio that brought us Secret of Kells and uh, or the Book Song of Kells of- and Song of the Sea and the breadwinner, uh, Wolfwalkers. You're a wolf now. Be a wolf. The wolves are getting smaller every day. These wolves, they're just beasts. Tonight we put an end to this. I promise your mother I'd keep you safe. All right, uh, it's 1650. Um, Sean Bean, and I know he has a name, Bill Goodfellow. I don't care. Sean Bean uh, and his daughter, Robin Goodfellow, go to an Irish village. They are English. They go to an Irish village to, uh, on the order of the Lord Protectorate, to hunt wolves because this town has a wolf problem much like the wolf problem that George Clooney encounters in The Midnight Sky. Also, really quickly, is that supposed to be Oliver Cromwell? I don't know. That's what Wikipedia says? It says Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector. It can't be Oliver Cromwell. Why right? not? Sure. Oliver Cromwell doesn't, didn't die that way. 
No, he did. He got bit by a wolf walker and was about to turn into a wolf walker and killed himself. Okay. That's what I always heard. That's why they that's why they (laughs) that's why after he died they they exhumed his body and decapitated him just so he didn't become a wolf. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um they are out in uh you know, Robin doesn't wanna doesn't wanna stay in her in her house. She also doesn't want to work in the scullery uh, of the Lord Protector's castle. Um, so she chases her dad out into the woods, and when she is there, she meets uh, Maeve, who is a wolfwalker. And she is a girl who, during the day, is a girl, but at night, she becomes a wolf, and her mother is a wolfwalker, and they have themselves a bunch of friends that are wolves, and that they're a pack. Um, and Needless to say, the desires of, of Sean Bean to kill the wolves and then the desire of Robin, who gets uh, accidentally bit by Maeve, uh, to, to not kill the wolves because she now is also a wolf walker um, and is enjoying the freedom of, of being outdoors and, and, and living her own life, um, come into conflict. And uh, just a, kind of a typical animated... Uh, you know, thing ensues at the end where there's you know one person's trying to say one person's trying to kill somebody and then the other person's trying to not die and then there's there's a twist and people save each other and blah blah blah. blah. It's it's a weird light crisp uh, child's tale of two children forcing their parents into an arranged marriage. Yeah, I um, I this <laughs> this kind of, this movie it's weird because there's there, there's there's a lot of this that is kind of um from a story perspective that I guess is a little typical. Um, but from a, from an aesthetic standpoint, um, sound and visuals, uh, it kind of blew my mind and not in like a way that I guess I wasn't expecting. Cause I love song of the sea. I love secret of Kells and I love, um, the breadwinner. I love how I love what they do, but this seemed to kind of push it a step further. The way that they, the, the design of this world, um, is so much more fluid than anything else they've ever done. Like the way that things just kind of are a part of, of other stuff, like the, even the really, uh, um, what do, what do, how do I want to describe it? The really kind of, uh, in your face two dimensionality of it. Like the way that like, because they're on a hill, they have to walk up a hill to get to the woods where the wolf are. The town always appears like as a flat, backdrop on like what you're seeing so you see the gates of the town you see the castle and you see the houses they're just triangles um it's really so severe was the word i was looking for it has like a really severe two-dimensional quality to it it all looks like super hand-drawn um and was just kind of um a magical like film experience or viewing experience interestingly enough one of my kids really liked it and the other one said it was boring um but i don't care i thought it was great it was a lot of fun um yeah and i mean it's one of those things it's 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 not um some other animated movies that have come out recently it's not like um i lost my body you know what i mean it's not like asking hard questions it's not taking weird chances um but it still feels good uh and it still looks awesome and, and it's a, and it's a it's a fun ride if you kind of give yourself over to it yeah, it reminds me a lot of the animations. That, and like for uh, my opinion of it is uh, from a technical standpoint, in the ways you mentioned from a score 
uh, visual standpoint and the choices they make with the, the 2D animation and a sound aspect. It, it is a technical marvel. It is unfortunately to me just uh, every single 90s sort of movie of the same ilk in, in terms of a story standpoint. Like I, I kept, I had a real gut feeling of Fern Gully watching this as mm. well as something like Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, um, those are. This is a better movie than those. Oh, it is. But it I is, don't think. Those, I think the story is not doing anything. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Okay, it's not substantially better. Um, but it reminded me a lot visually of like the Gendy uh, Tartakovsky material, Sorry. like like Samurai Jack. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Those sorts of things. I guess uh, so. Yeah, it had like the same shapes. Like. Yeah, no, and also the same kind of like stylistic choices in terms of often going into that comic book panel sort of choices. Sometimes um, I thought this one was more interesting, though. Of the, I, I thought the wolves were like a particularly interesting, um, like the pack moved in a really interesting kind of new way. The way that they kind of, um, you know, would tend to blend in together and become this one fluid, like shadowy oh, motion. I thought was kind of was which is which was is a, similar, like a step above that other stuff. Which is similar to what Tarkovsky did with um, Primal, like his later work in Primal. Um, and I agree, like, like from a visual standpoint, it's, it's really astonishing. I, I can't help but just like look at this and just follow all the story beats that it follows and being so similar to what we've seen in children's films and family films of the past and just finding myself disassociated from it. Um, I think it's technically sound. I think from a, a voice acting perspective, it's, it's, it's incredible. I think both of the, I, I guess, uh, I guess the girl that plays Honor wasn't uh, Robin. That wasn't a child when she did this. She's in her. She's a teenager. Sure. Um, but you know, like both of them are are and, and Sean Bean and good to always see Simon McBurney back as well mm-hmm. and everything. Like I think all the voice cast in this is is solid. I I think ev- all the component parts around this work. I just think from a story standpoint, it's so flaccid and not doing anything different than I felt myself disconnected from it. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think there's such proficiency in everything surrounding the story that I'm disappointed by how unremarkable of a story it is. Yeah, I think it's, I think, so I think I would put it that I was able, I didn't, I actually kind of preferred the story to simply be fine because it let me kind of just hang out in this like world where I wasn't like really concerned what was happening with the story. I just wanted to see somebody heal somebody again. I just wanted to see them like run through the woods as wolves again. Um, you want to see Aubrey Cromwell commit suicide? You just, you, you got to do it. I mean, I imagine there's a whole bunch of people in our Senate right now, Mario, that would gladly I mean, fall into a pit of spikes if it meant, you know. Not giving $2,000. Not giving $2,000. <laughs> Ron Johnson right now is just building a pit just in case. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which, which is, is weird because I actually really, like, I thought that was like the, it's a weird thing to say. I thought that was the best scene of the movie because it had, I don't, like, this film has this, like, teetering level of, of real darkness to it. Mm-hmm. Like, this real sort of, I, I think from a visual standpoint and from a sound standpoint and from a production standpoint, it has this real maturity and adultness to it. 
it feels incredibly adult. Like I, I wrote to you as I was watching it. Yeah, yeah. This kind of feels like the film in the third act. I want to see like jugulars being torn out and limbs being ripped apart because it has this kind of like building intensity and 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 viscosity almost to its animation style that it seems to like suggest that. Like when Cromwell or the Lord Protector, it's not Oliver Cromwell. I'm not going to believe that. When he's rubbing around the fire and how like linear that fire is there's mm-hmm. no attempt whatsoever to make that fire look naturalistic it is jagged lines everything yeah, awesome. feels really jagged and it looks great um so it kind of suggests this kind of like brutalism it suggests like this this uh, it reminded me a lot of like that brutalism architecture like the city hall in boston or that building in fucking downtown near ikea in new haven that's going to be turned into a hotel Oh, that like weirdo H thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, per, per, was that Pirelli? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it suggests that there's this real sort of unhinged core to it. And the thing I really appreciated was when like Cromwell, like the, the Lord Protector character, doesn't die by like falling kind of like a Gaston level or being pushed or, or a slip or whatnot. He makes like this active choice. He mm-hmm. says like, Lord, I commend myself into you. You know, like, just like Jesus. Yeah, I, but I, I love that. Like, I love that because that has like that hint of the sort of natural brutishness, that kind of Thomas Hobbesian edge that I feel this film's always like coming close to, but never has. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's my problem with this. It's like so much around this is everything around this film has a naturalistic quality to it, except for its story, and that's what kind of bums me out with it. Well, it's like. Oh, go it ahead. feels so adult except for that. Well, it's like weird. a child story surrounding an adult production. Yeah, and it's weird though because my feeling toward about it is more like I was glad in a way they didn't do that. One, because I guess I was watching it with my kids and they'd have to kind of explain the, the throats. I'd have to explain throats being ripped out. Um, but maybe, well, they already, maybe they already know. Your daughter would have probably loved it. She'd be like, we've great. Been, we've, we've been reading The Outsider. Why couldn't they have done this so. to James Corden in the prom? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just had, I found, and I guess this is one of those things, and, and we can, you know, I guess we'll talk about this more at the end of the year. Um, it's one of those things when I was watching it, I just like had like a lot of affection for it um, in the same kind of way that I do for something like, like Ponyo or Kiki or something mm. um, where like, I don't, I, I wasn't like stopping to kind of think about what they did, like what they should or should not have done when I was watching it. It wasn't until like afterwards and I was like, that was kind of easy um, from a story standpoint. But like when I was watching it, I was just like, oh, this just feels so good. Everything here just like feels so good that I just kind of like lost myself. It's a, But I think to your point, one of the things that people keep saying that this movie is a lot like is uh, Princess Mononoke. And on the subject of going for jugulars and things like that, there is quite a bit of blood in Princess Mononoke. You know what I mean? It, it takes, Miyazaki takes um, the same type of, of coming of age story of of man aligning itself like through blood with nature and like includes a ton of violence um and it's still like uh you know it's okay for kids you know to a certain extent but it's i think it's miyazaki's most violent movie like by far which is interesting because this movie has no real violence in it yeah just a couple of, of a couple of wolf bites and all that comes out is yellow spirit materia and most of the bites are just literally just slightly little jagged, um, like red barks on regular skin. Yeah. 
So like the bites do not do not puncture at all. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's 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 a visually astonishing. It's a technically astonishing film. I just I do I don't I I not I don't wish for like something it's not trying to be, but no, I just wish it kind know. of I wish yeah, it yeah. hewed I wish it hewed slightly away from the story it did. Like the fact that I guess my biggest problem, interestingly enough, with it is the fact that the two parents seem to for no reason whatsoever become partners in the end felt weird and felt Those like so walkers. unearned <laughs> it just it, it there's a lot of like these these moments when there's so much technical proficiency built into this film that just feel as though it's progressing in a weird way well because the know, payoff maybe... yeah i and i agree with you if only because the payoff for me is is the the visuals of them doing that like ceremony to bring the mom back and all that entails that's the payoff i didn't need and even if you wanted to include the four of them kind of circling within each other and then the wolves around that that looks cool too the extra scene where like they're in a carriage and are married now and the girls are running is that's more to your point like yeah that's a little kid movie scene we we didn't need that scene. They do that in every Disney movie. Yeah, I guess I guess I would have liked it. I would have loved for it to end just in the cave. Them all yeah. hugging. And there's the thing, and they're and they're, be- they're better than like they're better than Disney. Like so, and they've made more interest, way more interesting movies than Disney has. So like, don't do Disney things. Yeah, like that's just the thing that you should try to avoid doing at all costs. So, yeah. Do uh, you know what I know what I appreciate though, Tom? I appreciate when a film is is tight and consistent and locked in and does the things I want it to do and keeps doing that. And then the movie ends and I'm just like, oh, you went there. I didn't expect you kind of go there because I wasn't familiar with this. Mm -hmm. But yep, you were in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what happened in Netflix's other movie where Netflix shocked the shit out of me in an M. Night Shyamalan twist. An original film of theirs was excellent. And that is George C. Wolfe's... August Wilson's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So much uh, possessive nouns in there. <laughs> These records are going to be hits. Please come home to me. Every colored man in the world got to do his part. I'm going to tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care nothing about me. All they want in my voice. About them songs I give you. They're not the right songs. I don't take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. Come on! Wonderful. We got that boy. Uh, a recording session in i think it's chicago i think they're in chicago chicago in the late 1920s uh this white record studio is bringing in ma rainey who's popular among the african-american community to perform her music to get a lockdown on the vinyl um, and Ma Rainey's being, you know, she's, 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 she's asserting her place. She's late to arrive while 
her band has arrived early on, including Levy Green, the trumpet player who has a strong head on his shoulders in terms of creating his own band and having his own way of doing her music. Um, when Ma eventually arrives, she's a bit bolsterish. She's, she's, she's argumentative and we come to learn the reason she's argumentative is just to the fact that she understands the only reason why her producer, um, her manager and, and the producer of her albums wants her is because she is basically a moneymaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so she is using this to kind of assert her control to, to place her, her foot down in terms of um, who she is um, to kind of show that she is the one making the money. Uh, meanwhile, Levy uh, played in this final performance by Chadwick Bozeman is, is still, you know, trying to establish himself as his own person. Um, and we learn throughout this afternoon uh, through just a series of conversations in the green room and in the recording studio that, um, you know, just a, a, about the, the, troubles that are going on in everybody's life. Um, we think from the beginning that Levy is a pig-headed young man and we learn that he's deeply troubled. He watched his mother be raped um, and assaulted and her, his, you know, his father the attempt to stop that is murdered. Um, we, we learn that he's just trying to find his place uh, and is deeply Mentally troubled from that, we learn that Ma realizes that, you know, the second her recording is kind of done, that her stake and her power is basically given up and uh, everything eventually comes to a head um, when Ma fires Levy for his kind of dissidence to her um, from his just complete indifference to her control of the band. And uh, Levy takes things to the nth degree when um, he murders Toledo <laughs> over stepping on his shoes. But it's more just a proclamation of all the things that have happened until that day. This is kind of a movie that's, that's really hard to do a plot description of. In, well, because in there's, it's, it's, there's not a lot of like actual action going on. There's a lot of, uh, as you would expect with a, a kind of staged yeah. film stage performance. It's, it's very dialogue driven. Um, yeah, the no, dialogue this, this is, is more around ideas. It's in, rather than moving like any kind of real plot along. I mean, the plot is what it is. But it's it's fundamentally different from you know the the kind of other film in this series, I guess that Denzel Washington's doing from Fences. Fences is definitely more plot driven and whatnot. This is this is more rest in its dialogue, which it should, because this is yeah um, a phenomenal film. From from top to bottom, uh, Chadwick Boseman delivers easily for me right now. This is a bit of a spoiler. The best performance of the year um, was just such evocative power in you know two different fundamentally amazing scenes. Everyone here is acting on the top level. I'm a little perturbed again by the second straight time that Viola Davis is going to do category fraud in the August Wilson film because she's 100% a supporting actress in this <laughs> as she was at Fences, but whatever. Um, everyone in this film is, is acting in, in a level that is beyond. And this film is enthralling for all its 94 minutes. It's, 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 it's an absolute treasure. I really went into this 
with mid-tier expectations and it exceeded it in every way. I kind of did too. I kind of expected it to be um, good and then Chadwick Boseman to be, you know, great in some, just in some way, based on what everyone was saying. And Viola Davis to be, to be good. Um, but I too felt um, it's just kind of weirdly mesmerizing. And then when it's on, it's weird because it's on the whole movie. And then there's a couple of scenes when it's just like even more on and it kind of reaches this, this extra level. And I, tr- I really tried hard not to think about the fact that he died um, after making this, after making this movie, because it turns some of those, uh, turns some of those, those speeches and some of those declarations and exclamations into, um, you know, you want to say something that maybe they weren't meant to be, but he was, he had, I'll, I mean, his body was just riddled with fucking cancer when he made this movie. So maybe there was something to like some of those speeches. Like, the, I mean, and I'm thinking specifically about the turn your back on me, God, like um, stuff is, is just incredible. I mean, it's, I mean, it transcends it's in, in, like a performance. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, so, so you were saying that like Viola Davis should have been best actress in Fences and ran as best supporting actress. No, and I, this she should run for best supporting actress yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. running as best actress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I kind of, the only reason I kind of disagree with that is is something I like to refer to as like uh, the like the Leo syndrome, not Leo syndrome, but like the, the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, something of this, wherein, so people talked a lot about after The Revenant, people were like, well, Tom Hardy was great in The Revenant. Leo didn't really have to do anything. And I always like say like, well, but if that role didn't work, then the whole movie doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like if Leo doesn't nail that Revenant role, then the whole, the the movie doesn't make any sense. Um, To the same point, I think Ma Rainey, even though Ma is not on screen for the whole time, she, Viola Davis really kind of owns the film Um, because you know, she's there like in spirit almost she just kind of hovers over like literally almost because she's upstairs and the guys are downstairs in a lot of ways um so there's like a literal meaning to that too she just kind of hovers over everything and like what she represents and what she thinks what everyone thinks that she's earned and what she knows she hasn't like really earned and that's the thing i think that's from a subtext standpoint one of the things that really which is one of the things i love about this movie is that like both she and Levy think they've got something figured out. What are you doing? Yeah, maybe put a shirt on there, friend. Great. <laughs> um, they ha- they both think they have the white man figured out, and then they don't. Like Ma signs that piece of paper after putting on like the show about how like she's not going to sign over the rights and Levy thinks that like, he's got, he's, you know, he's got the white man figured out that, you know, that produced that record label guy. I don't even remember his name. It doesn't uh, even Mel? Fucking matter. Uh, Mel Sturdivant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got everything figured out um, about him. And then Mel just fucks him over. You know what I mean? So he takes that out on Toledo. And I think that's the, that's like what Toledo is saying in that, in that, really just powerful speech that he gives while he's playing the piano after Chadwick Boseman goes into his kind of um, you can't tell me about the white man speech is that 
like, what are we going to do about the black folks? Is I think it's the idea that when pushed up against, pushed into a corner, pushed into like uh, into a, a brick box almost as it was like when you think there's a door that you can open for yourself and it ends up just going nowhere um we end up not we um black people he's suggesting kind of end up like just turning on each other and kind of quarreling with each other instead of kind of uh thinking about the fact that like everybody has like all those people have like the same experiences and they're all dealing with the same thing and they all have the same wants and desires. Um, but they're being kept by the same person, like continually through history. Um, and it's just, it's like all that stuff is just so interesting. And then to have these two people giving these like really powerhouse performances and then everyone else underneath that Coleman Domingo is yeah. great. Michael Potts is great. Um, uh, Gil and Terman is, 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 is also great. Um, really just like supporting this whole endeavor. Um, it's the same thing from like a Wolf Walker's perspective. This is, she just felt so good to watch. I mean, it, every, it just hit on every, on every level. It just did. It almost seemed to do like everything right. Um, and I imagine that it was really hard um, to do because it's a play, you know what I mean? It's all on, it's all on stage, it's all in one location. Um, but the way that they did it, I thought was really, really interesting. Well, the thing, the thing I really respected is it doesn't try at all to skew the play aspect of it. Like George... Um, Seawolf. George Seawolf. I wouldn't say George Seawolf. George Seawolf never... Atta- it's, it's, it's very similar to Sunset Limited um, from like a decade earlier, where it doesn't try to become more theatrical than what it was mm. ever it, it 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 lets itself rest in still being a theater performance even though it has four you know even though it has you know no three walls anymore now that you have a floating camera it still lets it rest just on the actor's voice it lets everything drive that it doesn't try to do anything else you know it it respects its talent enough. It respects the actors enough just to let that breathe. And when something visually has to like hit, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it hits so well because of the fact that it's so sparse. Like yeah. when yeah. Levy kind of bursts through, is just in that tight four walls still mm-hmm. just to get outside and breathe, but he's still in that like tight six by six square block, which is a little bit of sky. You know, it, it speaks volumes. Um, but, and I think that this, I think to that point, I think Georgie Wolf really was, I think he shot Chadwick Boseman really well. There's a couple of, of, of just shots of him that I think are, are, are framed perfectly for like his bone structure. If that's, if that's a thing that makes any sense for like the nature of his smile towards the end of his speech about, about like his childhood, he talks about his father going back, you know, smiling at the, at one of the guys that raped his mom and then going back and like killing four of them before they got him. And he's got this huge smile across his face, but the way it's like, it's a little bit kind of a little bit askew, a little bit underneath, um, which makes the smile just seem so much, so much bigger. Um, It's just, it's just incredible. And like, so the, the space, the medium shot that he gives the space that he gives him when he's, you know, you know, telling, you know, God to turn, you know, turn your back on me, God. 
um, you know, he's doing so much work with his, his neck is going and his shoulder and his chest and his shoulders are going. Um, that's all good stuff. I think you could have shot that like a lot of different ways. Um, maybe even more like cinematically, but it gives you a good sense of like the body control and, um, all of that adds to like the power of, of the scene. You know what I mean? It's not just relying on him screaming something and then some kind of uber cinematic shot. He's letting Chadwick Boseman's body and his face tell like what the, what the real emotion is here. You know what I mean? Instead of just letting like a shitty movie, just having, just telling us what the emotion is, we can, we can see it. And that's what movies are for, which is why I think this is interesting in the sense that like it's, it's, it, it's a play that, you know, they've turned into a, a, a movie, like a really good movie, which doesn't usually happen. You yeah. know, I think Fences was, Fences was an okay. It wasn't like the play versus movie thing that I think got in my way for Fences. It was the Denzel Washington third act where he, Denzel Washington all over the place. Yeah, well, Fences is, was Fences the year before, no, two years before we started this podcast? Yeah. Like, I love, like, we talked about this before the podcast. We talked about this during one of our sure. Wings nights, how much I liked Fences, and you weren't, like, the biggest fan of it. I liked it, um, but then there's, like I said, at the end, it doesn't become Fences. It becomes training Fences. No, absolutely. I, I'd agree. That's why Fences is, for me, a Viola Davis carrying. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me know she's a supporting actress. Like, she carries it. Um, But it, when, yeah, when there's not the limitations here, when this this film allows, you know, realizes it's, it's, it's a production for actors and lets that breathe. It just does so, so incredibly. Also like the makeup work on this, Viola oh, <laughs> Davis incredible. is yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know a lot of people are talking about like the costume design and whatnot, but from a makeup and not really from a makeup standpoint, like the makeup work on this has to be in consideration this year I, 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 I think, yeah and i think some of the set design stuff too i mean there's a real tactile quality to literally everything that's that's going on i mean you want to just wipe the sweat from ma the whole time i mean you can see every crack in you can feel the, the wall heat. yeah absolutely it's 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 you know intense yeah i don't think i've two felt like this and the five bloods have been the two films that make you feel heat really well mm, interesting All right, does it? No, it doesn't make you feel heat, Tom. What? Chris, Christmas in in the Northern Hemisphere. Oh yeah, yeah. You want to wrap this one up, and then we'll do Christmas movies. Oh right, because we're yeah, doing yeah. that as separate episodes. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about Christmas, you can listen to the episode that probably debuted yesterday because yeah. I forgot that we were dividing this into two episodes. <laughs> or you can tweet us at Film Pivotal and say, Mario, you're bad at remembering where the uh, episodes are. No one's going to say starting. anything to us. Or you can uh, write us at uh, pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies that are on our Pivotal Film list and a list of the beers that we drank and how to subscribe and how to get to our Facebook. Uh, next week, we have Blockbuster Week. Blockbuster, in quotes. Uh, we'll do Wonder Woman. We'll do Soul, the new Pixar movie. So Wonder Woman on HBO Max, Soul on Disney+, and we're going to finally review Tenet. Because yeah, I know everyone was waiting. Everyone so was waiting for us to do it. Here's my excited voice for Tenet. Can we just do another round instead of Tenet and just pretend that we're reviewing Tenet? 
I know. We should just Actually do Actually reviewing Thomas Vinterberg's another round. We'll do the we'll do the Tom and Mario version of, of the Blockbuster Week. We'll do another round. We'll do Kajillionaire. Then we'll just find some other some other indie movie. We'll review uh, City Hall. I'm, yeah, that's, I'm looking that's at Tom and Mario's. That's Tom and Mario's blockbuster week. Yeah, nothing I want to do for my New Year's week <laughs> than watch a five-hour-long <laughs> documentary about Boston civic civil politics. Apparently, good. Um, yeah, no, I just this entire like like I, I've been watching stuff about Tenet this like recently. I was just like, I don't like I didn't give a shit about that movie when it was like coming out and COVID wasn't happening, and I give less of a shit about it now. I don't care at all. But I feel like we're obligated to say something about it. All right. Well, uh, you should watch Tenet and drink beers. And I hope you had a good uh, holiday season and have a safe New Year because it'll be New Year before we talk to you again. Um, or New Year's will have, have, have happened. Um, let's go 2021. Uh, you can't be worse than stupid 2020. No, Biden will be president. That'll be fun. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. All right. Take it easy, folks. <laughs>